Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Thanksgiving, you're on devices all day. None of you, just silence, just a conviction across the room. I need to preach. Just come to the, come forward, everyone. It's like, man, Brian. Like, that was supposed to be funny. You guys are like, oh, it's so sad. It's so true. Well, I am not that kind of guy. I am just pure old school analog. You know what that means? We play board games. My daughter wants to challenge me to a game of Monopoly, and she will lose. And I just, I, I try to teach her as best I can, but I just love beating her, and she gets very upset. We played Capture the Flag yesterday on, we, in, a, in a little park area with my son and her friend, and I just could not help but dominate her, guys. I'm sorry, but I just kept winning, and she, she like, left, left early. Where are you? They, like, left, because I just kept going, like, yeah! And I would kind of rub it in her face, and now I know why my daughter does that to me whenever I play a game. She's like, booyah! I'm like, oh, I'm feeling all bad. Oh, I did that to her. Okay. I wanted just to bring you your attention to our, our series starting next week uh, called It's Complicated. And uh, we're going to be uh, doing a series on relationships, talking about how relationships can be the most complicated on the planet. And so we're going to talk about that for three weeks and talk about all sorts of, uh, from marriages to uh, friends to all sorts of things. So don't think that if you're not married or not in a relationship, if you're not in a relationship here today, you need to come so I can pray for you so you can have a relationship because you need a friend or a girlfriend, one of the two. Uh, not you, Ricardo. You're too young, brother. It's okay. But um, the rest of you need a girlfriend or boyfriend or something. But we're going to believe that uh, it's going to be a great three weeks hanging out, uh, studying the word about uh, relationships and how complicated they can be. So what we're going to do today is we're going to finish our, our short mini-series on dollars and cents, it's called, on money. And I chose this uh, specifically for today, uh, for this two weeks with Thanksgiving, uh, because um, I wanted to just teach you something in the scripture that I feel is just so very, very cool and clear. Uh, it's very clear in scripture, and it's very uh, great to see uh, what God has been revealing to me when I study the idea of money uh, when, I, when I look at scripture, I find that really, if you really look at it clearly, Jesus is very, very clear about the responsibility and the role of money in our lives. Specifically, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, it, your, your definition of money is, is, is changed. It, you don't look at money the same way. I mean, many of us here have been followers of Christ for maybe a long time. Some of us are newer to it, or maybe we're just coming on back and kind of getting back into things. When you're a follower of God, when you're a follower of Jesus, your perspective on money shifts completely. It changes the, the definition of it and the role of it and what it looks like and what it means to you and why you earn it. And so um, I really feel like the scripture we're going to study today is very clear. It'll be a reoccurring theme. And my hope is that you'll fall more in love with Christ and that and through everything that we do and say would honor Jesus Christ with our lives. And so... Uh, as I shared last week, the Bible uh, often uh, offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Uh, uh, 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, in an amazing 1 out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. And that's just the New Testament. That's just the four Gospels. And so we see that money is a big deal. We don't often talk about money because people are always afraid in church that if we talk about money, it's a money grab and we're going to start talking about how much money you need to give me when in reality, I don't get any of your money. The reality is, is that all of our money in this church is given unto the Lord. 
And the Lord then comes and he begins to speak to us in different areas and how we should spend that money as good stewards in our church. But we're not going to really talk about church finances today. We're going to talk, but we're not going to really talk about church finances today. We're going to talk about you and me as we follow Jesus Christ. And so we're going to read in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start here, and I just felt like as I uh, looked at this verse, this verse, the context of this verse, for those of you who maybe don't know, uh, Adam and Eve were created by God in the image of God, and they were placed in the Garden of Eden. And in, they were in the Garden of Eden. It was the most euphoric, perfect place for them to have a relationship with God. All things were great. Relationship was great. No one thought about anything. Everything was perfect. They walked around in the buff, and they, uh, some believe they flew. Who knows? Maybe they flew. I don't know. Maybe they flew, and they worked and they had fun and they enjoyed life and they didn't have to worry about uh, what people thought of them and it was just fantastic. It was this euphoric reality and then Adam and Eve uh, sinned and they fell short of God's glory by eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, knowledge of good and evil and then sin was found in their heart and they were no longer able to be in the perfect euphoric place of God which some theologians believe was a picture of heaven. And so what happened was is they were now removed from this place of perfect relationship with God and now they were in a growing relationship with God amongst a sinful nature. And when that happened, that's where sin came from. That's where death came from. That's where hardship and difficulty and sadness and tears all came from that one decision. And so now we have this story about Adam and Eve living in this new world where they're living with a sinful nature. Things weren't like they used to be. They have a relationship with God, but there tends to be a, a distance between them because because of their personal sin in their life. And so God is continually redeeming them and continually forgiving them. And so now here we start in the very beginning, the very first family, and uh, we can see all sorts of uh, mega themes and themes throughout this verse. So Genesis chapter four, verse one to seven says this. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife. So we see sex, praise the Lord. And uh, between a man and a woman, there we go. And she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I produced a man. So every time someone has a kid walk up to him and say, with the Lord's help, you produced a man. It would suck if it came out a man. That would be terrible. Um, be glad it comes out a little tiny baby. About you know, six pounds, whatever. But uh, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. Later, she gave birth to a brother and named him Abel. And when they grew up, and he became a shepherd. And while Cain cultivated the ground, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, and watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and, and be its master. So we see an interesting progression here in the scripture. We started with uh, a sex life, hallelujah, and kids, praise God. And things went down real quick. If we keep reading, we'll see that Cain was so ang angry at Abel for uh, offering a sacrifice that God liked that he didn't, that he ended up murdering his brother. So here we go from this perfect family to uh, Cain murdering his brother Abel. What a, obviously, we're not, we're not in the It's Complicated series yet, but we might come back here in the next three weeks. <laughs> we see here in the scripture that we've got childbirth and siblings and work. We've got pleasure and displeasure of God. We've got, we've got money and we've got gifts to God. We've got worship to God. 
What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through this verse and just give you some observations about this verse as we go through it together. And it says that when the time of harvest came, so this was most likely at the end of the crop season, most likely in springtime, um, uh, there, there was when they were planting and they were uh, getting things ready. And there was a time in the year when it was ready for them to pull from their crops and, and begin to gather all of their resources. Now, back then, they didn't have much of a currency. It was all a, a trading uh, program. And so their crops or their animals were the currency. And so they would give someone a, a lamb or a crop and, or something from their crop, and there would be a trade and exchange. And so this was a, uh, 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 the, the correlation is they were dealing with their income. They were dealing with, with the results of their income, their wages. It was their salary that they had in this day. And so when the time came for them to, uh, to reap the harvest, they, 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 they gave a gift to God. And the interesting part here is that there was no command in Scripture prior to this point for them to be told to give a gift to God. Never do we read in Scripture, prior to this point, was there a command, thou shalt give uh, a first of your crops, or thou shalt give some of your crops. Never once do we see that in Scripture. Some reason, they just knew that this was something that they were supposed to do. Now, maybe they learned it from their father. Maybe their parents did it. Maybe their parents modeled it for them. Or maybe their father taught them that this was a great way to worship God. Or maybe Adam and Eve just knew that this was a great way for you to connect with God because we used to have perfect relationship and now we don't. And so one of the ways for you to connect with him is when you, you, you have your, your income, take some of that income and make, worship God with it. And you can connect with him and it'll be significant in your journey as you learn to know God. So somehow along the way, they just, it was osmosis. They just picked it up. It was something that they did. And we don't see it taught in Scripture. We just see it something that they did. And so we have this word gift is actually the word mina. And the word mina, really interestingly enough, is a gift given to a superior person. It's a, it's a gift uh, that is subject to a king. The idea, the word picture behind this word gift, this mina, is that when you go before a king, which is really interesting because they didn't have kings yet. They didn't have rulers yet until we see that with David and, and, uh, and Samuel. And all, Samuel was the last judge. And so prior to kings, they had judges. And prior to judges, God was their king. And so in their perspective, they were bringing a gift to a king whenever they went into the presence of the, the king. They were supposed to bring something that was of great value to pay homage and respect to someone who was superior to them. And so this gift, this, this offering that they brought uh, to God was as though they were bringing a homage or an offering or a gift or almost a, a way of worshiping this king. They were bring this homage or this mina or this gift to God. So the very first family, the very first offering to God in the Bible had to do with money. We see very clearly in the scripture the first sacrifice given in the human race was out of a desire to worship God. There wasn't any other reason for them to give this offering other than the fact 
that they wanted to honor and love on and, and shower their blessings and say thank you to the King of Kings and to their God known as Yahweh or the God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This moment in this story is a crazy reality. They were never taught to give. They just somehow knew that from their increase, it was a way to truly honor God with their income. It was truly intermingled. Their work and their money was intermingled as followers of God. It was this intermingled thing that every time they had income or any time they had a job or work, it was always about bringing glory and honor to God. So when Cain went out to the field and began to work his crops, he wasn't doing it to make an income. He was doing it as worship to God. When Abel went out and fattened that calf and took care of his herds, and he wasn't going there to make an income to buy the coffee or to pay the rent. He was going there and working as worship to God. Whether it was Starbucks or Burger King or Shell Oil, or you work for a structural and engineering firm, or you, you are uh, at work at, uh, at, at Walmart, whatever it might be, that when you walked into the establishment, the field that you were called, to work in. It was not about your personal income. It was not about satisfying your own needs. Everything you did was about bringing homage to the king. And so when they prepared their flocks and they took care of their crops, they were thinking about the end result. They were thinking about the final product that they were going to give to their king. And so as followers of Jesus, when it comes to our job and it comes to our possessions and it comes to our money, as followers of Jesus, before being a follower of Jesus, you simply worked a job to make money for yourself so you could buy that house and do that thing and have that investment and go the distance, which is fine. But when we become followers of Jesus, all of that changes. Now, everything I do at my job is to bring glory to God. Every cent I make is to bring glory to God, is to bring homage to my king. That was the perspective and the mindset of the very first family on earth who was the closest thing to the very presence and manifest Eden of God. They weren't taught it, they just knew it. Somehow in the journey of their life, they learned, in order for me to connect with this almighty God, I, I think my work and my money is somehow used to worship him. Somehow, there was something here that I believe the Lord wants to begin to show us in our own walk with God. There was something here that I believe the Lord wants to begin to show us in our own walk with God. And I think in our modern day North American reality when it comes to finances, we often think in context of, I promised myself I wouldn't use this word once, so I'm not going to say it, but a percentage, when in reality God says, I don't care about the percentage, I just want your heart. I don't care about the percentage that you write, I care about the fact that you're worshiping me with everything. It's verse 3, look what it says. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Now notice, he gave some of his crops. This, it's really interesting that right in the very first family, really interesting to me, that both of these boys were most likely knew God, so they would be probably in the category today of those who were believers or people who were followers of God. And so the category of them, right from the very beginning of time, the very first family struggled with religion. 
From the very, very first beginning of time, Cain brought a offering. That the, the, If you look at the, the phrasing of those Hebrew words, the word uh, gave some was almost a, uh, it had a, an ob- obligatory, uh, um, obligatory kind of expectation that he knew he had to do it, so he was only giving some. This was when law first entered our world through humans. We can read about it when uh, uh, this believer, this follower of God was functioning only out of religion and not out of a relationship with Jesus. And so we see here that this is really interesting how Cain brought some of the things. Now, we think that often the first sin is when Cain murdered his brother. And I think Jesus very clearly teaches in the scripture at the very beginning that this is actually the first progression of sin in Cain's heart. When we begin to worship God out of religion, when he wants us to worship him out of relationship. Look what it says in verse four. Abel also brought a gift. Look at this. So he also brought a gift, but he brought the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. If you look at Hebrews 11.4, Paul later writes about this many, thousands of years later, Paul writes this. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. Look at this. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he was dead. This offering that, that Abel gave still today is a testimony for us as followers of God how to use our finances. Still today, from that many years ago, that one simple offering to God, that one simple moment of worship still rings true throughout generations upon generations upon generations of time. We're still standing here today talking about that sacrifice because he offered it with a heart of faith out of relationship and love for his Savior. It was a homage to his King. It was worship to God. It was to honor his Lord. It was out of love relationship for God. And Paul says in Hebrews, listen, if you're going to give your money away, if you're going to invest your money into the kingdom of God, make sure it's from a place of worship, not religion. Make sure you're giving, not out of paying a bill, or not out of duty, or not of obligation. Make sure that every single time you give money in any capacity, in any way, every time you go to work and you work your hand to that toil, or to that, to that soil, and to those crops, that you're doing it as relationship to God. By faith today, I'm going to get up and go to work and fight this terrible traffic and drink this terrible coffee and deal with Dan, the the terrible guy next to me. And by faith, I'm going to go today. And by faith, everything I do is going to be worship to God. And by faith, at the end of the week, I'm going to get that money. And by faith, I'm going to make sure that every cent I spend is worship unto the Lord. That type of sacrifice still rings true today. So very quickly, just I'm not even going to spend more than 60 seconds on each of them, the three things we see about Abel's offering. What was for, it was the first of the flock. So he took the first of the flock and he gave it as an offering to God. The second thing, it was the best of the flock. He took the fattened calf, the very best fattened calf that they'd been fattening for a long time. At the end of the season, they had this amazing calf with all this fat on it and all this great meat and all this great food. He didn't just take some of the meat. He took the fat. The fat was the most precious of meat. 
He didn't cut the cow open and take out parts of it and set, it, set the fat aside so he could spend it on his family or something else and give him another portion of the meat. No, he gave him the very, very, very best. So he gave him the first of his flock. He gave him the first of the actual cow. And lastly, it was a sacrifice. It cost him something. So those are the three nuances, the three descriptions, the three realities of the offering that Abel brought before God as worship. And this was the offering we'll see that made God happy. Made him very happy. Look at this in verse four. It says this, the Lord accepted Abel. So that word uh, accepted there is a very, very interesting word. That word accepted there is actually the word to be lifted up. It also could be an expression that can indicate a smiling rather than a frowning. Just think about this for a minute, that when Abel brought the first, the best, and something that cost him something, it actually put a smile on God's face. Now remember, remember this for a minute. I can't prove this theologically, so just let me digress for a moment. Remember in Eden, didn't he walk in the cool of day with them? So I don't know if that stopped when the gates were closed to Eden. But let me just pretend for a minute. All those theologians in the back row can challenge me later. What if, I don't know, what if they had been, you know, like, you know it's like when you, um, when you learn a language and if you go away from that language for a while, you start kind of forgetting to speak certain languages and you got to kind of refresh your memory. See, they were fresh off of, of, of like direct relationship to God walking in the garden. And I wonder if maybe they were more in tune with the sense and the emotion of God than you and I were because it's been so long. Now we have the Holy Spirit living in us, thank the Lord. But just imagine that I wonder if Abel could just sense in his heart, I, like, I just know what makes God happy. Have you ever had that moment when you've, per- have you ever purchased something at the store and you bought it and right after you bought it, you realize, oh my gosh, I think uh, this is a good use of my money? That's God's, frowning on your purchase. (laughs) Have you ever bought something or given something to someone or helped someone and you just feel this, oh, you might just feel this, ooh, this feels so like euphoric in my, ooh, I love that feeling. Ever felt that feeling before? You know, buy someone a coffee behind you or something. It's just like, oh, this is so nice. I read those feelings. That's God smiling on you. So when Gabriel brought this offering, I know for, I would wonder if maybe he felt this reality. Okay, I know my parents are so close to God that they've explained to me what it feels like to make this God happy because they've seen him not happy. And so I know what it feels like to make him happy because here I am and I bring this offering to God and it says that God got the massive, huge smile on his face and said, yes, Abel, that's exactly what I was looking for. I want the first, I want the best. And you know what? It's got to cost you something because this is worship to the king and when we give from a place of joy and we give from a place and with our finances whatever it might be to anything and anywhere however you spend your money or however you give your finances you can always tell the holy spirit will come and he will convict you on certain things i just bought a, a security camera for my front door and the holy spirit's been convicting me through my wife <laughs> And now I'm going to return it. (laughs) Not only did it bring God joy, but it brought him joy. Many times we hold on to our finances. I know this from personal experience because we are not happy with our life. 
And so we feel like if we, if it's almost like a, a way to say, God, I, I, don't, I don't really like my life, and so I'm not really sure I trust you with my life, so this money is the only thing that's going to get me anywhere in life. But when you begin to realize that everything that you have is from the Lord, and that when you work for God, and you have finances for God, what he does is he somehow provides for all of your needs, as we talked about last week, and when he provides for you, you find that there is this joy. You know you're making God happy and you begin to experience the joy of the Lord because you know that when I spend my money and when I give my money, that every dollar I have, not just the 10%, not just the 2%, not just the extra on the side, not just that little savings account, my checking account from zero to whatever you make, that whole chunk is totally God's. And if I give all of it to him, now I don't mean go write a, $150,000 check to the church unless you want to. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm saying every cent, every, every amount, not just a percentage, all of it is God's. And if we see it that way, we look at our checking account, we log in and look at it, we don't think, oh no, the, I, you know, I got to move this out because I want to make sure the, the money I'm giving to God doesn't get confused with my money. <laughs> That's not how it works. All of it's the Lord's. And if we worship Him with all of our finances, through every purchase we make, through everything that we do, and if we worship him with all of our finances, through every purchase we make, through everything that we do, God will bless you beyond your wildest dreams by satisfying all of your needs. Abel experienced something here, the smile of God. So Cain, unfortunately, didn't experience the same thing. Let's look at Cain's experience for a moment. But he did not accept Cain and his gift this made Cain very angry, and he, he looked dejected. So that word dejected there means unhappiness. That word dejected there means unfulfilled. That word dejected there means he was sad. This is where I believe many followers of God are. I'm just going to be clear with you. I feel like many followers of God are unhappy, they are frustrated, and they are sad, and they say, why? Well, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. It starts there, and it moves down, but this is one of the areas of our lives where I think we need to yield completely to God, and if you begin to yield your finances to God, you'll go from a Cain to an Abel and realize that if you see every, every cent in your bank account as God's, he will begin to shower joy in your life, and you won't feel disappointed or sad or frustrated frustrated or unhappy with the existence that you have because remember God gave you that job God gave you that relationship God gave you that opportunity it's God's gift to you stop being sad about it he wants you to be blessed by it he wants it to give you fresh life he wants it to give you fresh joy now don't don't worry I know what it's like to work a job that you hate okay this isn't one of them don't worry <laughs> And this is one of them. I'm done. This isn't one of them. I know what it's like, but guess what? Remember, the job that the, the gift that Abel gave, or that Cain and Abel gave was the first, was the best, and what what was the third one? It cost him something. It was a sacrifice. Sometimes in life, you have to sacrifice at your job because you know God gave you that job. He blessed you with that job and he's watching you to see how you'll respond to the job that he's given you because he wants to shower his joy and happiness into your heart when you realize that everything you have is from the Lord. It's all his. So Cain here experiences dejection, the sadness. He looked dejected. He brought his offering to the Lord, but he didn't bring his heart to the Lord. 
He brought his money. He brought some of it. He brought the crop. In fact, Cain was the first one to make the offering. <laughs> Abel just followed his lead. But he didn't bring his heart in the matter. And it left Cain feeling very unhappy. Last week, we ended with this, this scripture. I'll read it really quick. Remember, a man came to Jesus who was missing something in his life. He was sad about his life, sad about his existence. God, how can I fill this gap in my heart? And Jesus said, well, he looked at him in the eye and he loved him. And he said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come and follow me. And the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. This man came to Jesus with great wealth, great crops, and he said, hey, I've given my whole life. But Jesus was saying, listen, you may have been giving all of your money. You may have been a good person, but I never had your heart. Never in the journey have you been willing to give me your heart. You've given me your morals. You've given me your time. You've given me your energy and your finances, and that is awesome, son and daughter. But listen, now I want you to experience what I've always had for you. Give me your heart. And this man's face clouded over, just like Cain's. He was dejected and he walked away because the scripture says he was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. This is a prophetic word for you today. If you do not let go of your finances, you will not be happy. If you do not let go of the dollars and cents in your bank account and, and let go of possession of it as yours, this little tiny amount that you're holding on to to fulfill all your wildest dreams, if you do not let that go and give your heart to Jesus, you will live a an, an unsatisfied, unfulfilled life for the rest of your life because the Bible teaches more on money than anything else. And there's a reason why the very first family started with money is because the, the Lord knew that in our nature, we grab onto money as our possession as our inheritance, as our identity. And Jesus says, I don't care about that. I want your heart. And if I get your heart, I'm not going to make it this much. I might even make it that much. Or I might make it this much. Or I might make it this much. Who knows? But I want to bless you above, above your wildest dreams. But I want your heart. He wants our hearts. And he looked at him and said, why are you so angry? Why are you so dejected? Why are you so unhappy? Why are you so frustrated? Why are you so looking down on your life? Why? And look what he says. You will be accepted if you do what is right. How does the Bible, in, in this context, define right? Now, if we look at the two stories, we've got Cain, who gave some of his offering with a legalistic heart. God never had his heart. We've got Abel, who gave the first, the best, and it cost him something. And he gave it as worship to God. So therefore, in this scripture, by our simple math, right is what Abel offered. And look what he says. You will be accepted. I will smile on you if you do what is right. Very clear in scripture. But if you refuse to do what is right, look at this. Now, look, but if you refuse to, if it's out of religion and you're not giving God your heart, this is where things go south, guys. This is where things get really weird. This is the first time uh, that, that outside of the context of Adam, Adam and Eve or the Garden of Eden, that sin is mentioned, the devil is mentioned, and it's in direct relationship to money. Look what he says. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out because sin is crouching at the door eager to control you, look at this, but you must subdue it and be its what? Its master. 
Remember last week what we talked about? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, or 24, I'm sorry. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is an age-old problem that we've been dealing with through the foundations of time. God knew that our heart would choose one or the other. God's saying you can't have both. You gotta choose. Devoted to one, devoted to the other. You can't choose. You can't have both. As a follower of Jesus, listen, you can't have both. Either all of your checking account is his or none of the checking account is his. Either or, but you can't have both. And see, the really interesting here, and I wanted to share this with you today because I wanted you to understand that this is not just a small matter. As a follower of Jesus Christ today, this is not just a tiny matter that we think, well, it's not a really big deal and generosity and giving or this and that. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Actually, it was the most important thing that the journey of God started in mankind with money. And he says, watch out. God's saying, watch out, Christian. Watch out, follower of God. Watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, waiting to devour you. Don't allow money to become your master. Don't allow it to rule your life. Don't allow it to be your God. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. To all the rich of the world, I command you not to be wrapped in the thoughts of pride over your prosperity. or Rely on your wealth, for your riches are unreliable and nothing compared to the living God. <laughs> Trust instead in the one who has lavished upon us all good things, fulfilling our every need. Remind the wealthy to be rich in good works of extravagant generosity, willing to share with others. Timothy continues, or Paul continues. Look at this. We have a prophet that is greater than theirs. Our holy awe of God. Paul's identifying here that this is the reward. They have all of their rewards. We, our reward, is a fear of the Lord. What's the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Lord. Why was Solomon the richest man on the planet ever? Because he had wisdom. So if you want God to bless you beyond your wildest dreams, we need wisdom. If you want wisdom, you got to have the fear of the Lord. You want the fear of the Lord in your life, you got to start by giving everything up to him. Because <laughs> he wants to lavish his blessings on your life. And it says this, to have merely our necessities is to have enough. Isn't that true, that our hands were empty when we came into the world? And when we leave this world, our hands will be empty again. Because of this, food and clothing is enough to make us content. But those who crave the wealth of this world slip into spiritual snares. They become trapped by the troubles that come from their foolish and harmful desires, driven by greed and drowning in their sinful pleasures. And they take others down with them into their corruption and eventual destruction. Loving money is the first step toward all kinds of trouble. And some people run after it so much that they have given up their faith. Craving more money pushes them away from the faith and error, compounding misery into their lives. Today, I wanted you to understand something about this story that I believe God wrote that there. This happened as an allegory, as an example, as a warning sign that I believe God wrote that there. This happened as an allegory, as an example, as a warning sign for us. And I believe that God wants to lavish his love and his grace on you and your finances today. I want to end on one last verse here today. It's a story. It's in Mark chapter 14. And it says this. And while he was at Bethany, Jesus, in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at a table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and a pure nard, very costly. 
She broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, that's about a year's wage, and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and wherever you want, you can, go, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand, before the burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Very quickly, John, this is the only, one of the only uh, stories written in all four accounts of the gospels. John put this uh, story, I'm sorry, Mark put this story at the most appropriate time in the history of Jesus' journey. Lazarus had just been risen from the dead, which was uh, this woman's brother. So here, Jesus had just uh, risen her, her brother from the dead. He was in the grave for three days, called him out of the grave, brought him out of the grave, and brought him back to life. Just a few days later, here Jesus is, just about to be crucified. Six days from this Passover, Jesus will be crucified. Now listen, the very first offering made in the very uh, known man, man of, uh, man of God in the new world, the very first offering given was an offering of best first of the fattened calf to God, his worship to God. The very last offering made before Jesus was crucified was a year's wage, which is about $3,000 per ounce of oil. And in this story, the disciples were saying, listen, why, why, they were scolding her for not giving that to the poor. And Jesus said to her, what you've done is a beautiful thing. She took a year's wage and she lavished it on Jesus out of worship to God. This scripture, look at this, in the very last verse, look what it says. Truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Two accounts. One in the very beginning of time, one right before Jesus was crucified, and Paul says that the, 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 the sacrifice of Abel will be talked about forever. Jesus here says that the sacrifice of this woman will be talked about forever. This is the spiritual way for you and I to handle our finances. That every single cent in your bank account belongs to the Lord. And if you begin to learn how every time you write that check and every time you swipe that debit card and every time you put money aside and every time you plan with your budget, understand that if you begin to worship God with it, he says, listen, you have done a beautiful thing for me. He will bless you beyond your, beyond your wildest dreams. He'll bless you beyond anything you could ask, dream, or imagine. He'll bless you. He'll bless you. He'll bless you. Will he bless you financially? Maybe. We bless you in your spirit, most likely. We bless you in your relationships. Very, could very well could happen. We bless you in your attitude. Uh-huh. I'm not promising you that if you give me 10%, he's going to give you 20% back. That's not what this is about. This is about your heart. Biggest issue, I think, in the entire Bible, I believe, personally, when it comes to sin and having a relationship with Jesus Christ, is money. And I want to encourage you today, as we end our time together, to consider, where are you at? What's your master? Is your finances your master? Is your job your master? Is your savings account your master? The Bible says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where wrath, uh, moths and thieves won't destroy it. Today, every single dollar, every single cent you have 
in your checking account, bank account, savings account, IRAs, 401ks, lottery tickets, wherever you have it. Let's give it to the Lord. Let's honor him with it today. Can we do me a favor? Would you stand with me on your feet? Close your eyes. I want to just pray for you today. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.